CrossFit athletes suck at running. Put a CrossFit Games athlete in a high school weight room and the kids are probably thinking, man, they're a superhero. But put that same Games athlete in a cross-country meet, whether it's high school or maybe even middle school, and they'll probably finish middle of the pack at best. Why? Well, it's just the mans that we're actually subjecting ourselves to on a daily basis. In the competitive version of the sport, there isn't running on online qualifiers. So unless you're actually making it to a big event, you don't need to be any good at running. I mean, let's just take a look at some of the best athletes who are making it through to the games level. People like Jared Enderton, Nick Urankar, Brooke Haas, Brooke Wells. Like, these are big, strong, thick people. Like, they can throw around some weight. And yeah, they all suck at running. But guess what? They're still elite. And in the non-competitive version of the sport, people are so focused on surviving the power cleans and handstand push-ups and all these functional high-powered movements that no one ever dedicates any focused time or training effort towards improving their running. So it's a catch-22. But it doesn't have to be. While difficult, it's certainly not impossible to be good at running and CrossFit. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. Fitness Movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver incredible training-related content to people just like you. I don't just podcast. I write in-depth fitness articles. I break down common movements in the sport of fitness. I program workout plans, and I offer one-on-one coaching for competitive and recreational athletes. And the best part is most of what I have on ZorFitness.com is totally free. Check out these resources by going to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. Hope to see you there. And welcome back to my rant on running and CrossFit. So the outline today is going to be two things that we need to fix. So two ways that you're going to improve your running through number one, your form. So part one is technique. And then part two is your programming, your metabolic demands, the energy systems training that you could be using. So uh, part one technique, part two is more so focused on programming. So let's jump right into part one and just get after it. This is a statement I think is true for a lot of people. It's not true for everyone, but I think it's true for a lot of people who are training, let's just call it functionally, is that your fitness is good and your running is bad. And that's commonly paired with people being good on ergs and bad at running. So in other words, they're able to produce maybe good maximum power or good sustainable power on something like a rower or a bike or a skier. But when we put them on the road and we have them run, they're not really able to produce that same power relative to the competition. And the biggest reason for this divide is because when you are powering an erg, you are not moving your own body weight. Whereas if you were running, you are actually moving yourself. It's the same thing with double unders. People tend to be bad at double unders and running, not just because they're bounding and repeatability from that point of view, but you're also supporting your body weight and moving your own body weight where you're not doing that in an erg. Okay, maybe in a rower, you could say, oh yeah, move my own body weight or you know, on a skier, I'm standing there, but really you're not doing the work to actually move yourself through space. You're producing power on a flywheel, which is reading a certain metric. And especially on the bike and the rower, your body weight is completely supported. So in other words, you're seated while you're actually doing those activities. Your body weight is supported. So it doesn't matter nearly as much if you are a big, powerful individual. Whereas if that's the case for running, it actually can often be a disadvantage. Like you don't want to weigh more because you have to carry the engine. So probably the simplest analogy of carrying this engine is, let's just say we have two vehicles. We have a four-cylinder, a little Honda car, and we have a V8 truck. For anything where we're going to be pulling or towing or doing anything like that, of course you're going to want the heavy truck because it's going to pull that thing much easier and it's not going to bog down when that happens. Whereas the car is just going to have a really hard time with that. 
So the truck does really well on any sort of external loader, whether that's a barbell, a kettlebell, a dumbbell, an erg, right? All of those things are external to your body that you are manipulating. However, if we take that same truck, we move it on the highway and we're talking about highway mileage, it's going to be really ill-suited for that. So I think that's a really helpful analogy in terms of separating this so we can see that this isn't just about conditioning. Yes, you're going to be breathing hard when you're rowing and running and doing double unders or biking, but those are not the same environments. Like the one you're moving a flywheel, the other one you are moving yourself. The one your body weight matters, the other one your body weight does not matter. So if we're talking about your total metabolic expenditure and efficiency relative to your body weight, that matters extremely much in environments like double unders, like running compared to any sort of external load or erg environment. And this plays out when certain athletes are good at running on land, whereas other athletes are good on something like an air runner. The air runner, because it is motorless, it has no motor, you are the motor. You are not moving yourself through space. You are spinning the treadmill wheel. And then not only that, but that wheel is curved, so you don't have one single point of contact where your foot hits the ground. It has a really soft contact, and then you're pulling your foot through and has a longer contact time because of that curve. And what that means is that there's more opportunity for mechanical work to be done and less opportunity for elastic energy to be used. So athletes who are efficient runners, when they get on an air runner, it kind of bogs them down, especially if they're a light, efficient athlete versus we see a lot of the bigger athletes do actually pretty well on running. So in 2018, one of the regional workouts was triple three. And the last piece of that workout was a three mile run on an air runner. And what we saw from that workout was a lot of the bigger athletes who aren't typically good at running and aren't super efficient did really well in that workout. And that's just reinforcing this point of a person who is better at moving an external load or spinning a wheel is going to be much better at an air runner than someone who is light and efficient and springy. So if we're trying to get someone to be better at running on the ground on the land, just traditional running, then the best thing that we can have them do is to learn to be springy and efficient with their movement. In order to get some good at running on the land, there's really those two things I had mentioned before, which is their form and their programming. The only thing I want to cover besides those two points is talking about what is efficient in terms of someone's overall body size and shape. So the smaller the person is, the skinnier they are to a certain point is going to yield itself to better running performance because if someone is smaller and skinnier, they're just going to be a little bit more springy. They're going to be more elastic. They're going to rebound quicker because they just have less mass to carry around. A person who has longer legs and femurs is going to cover more ground a little bit easier. A person who has less lower leg mass is going to pull that leg through easier. It's going to have less momentum to kind of pull through. This person's going to have little lower leg mass. And basically understanding that overall, these people are not just skinny, but their legs are still skinny too. So you don't need to have a lot of muscular work. Again, we're trying to be light and springy as we're moving through this. And while not everyone's going to optimize for this running size and shape, just understanding that if you want to improve performance in this area, certainly to a certain extent, that these may or may not be qualities that you want to go after as this person. So let's jump into the technique of running. One of the analogies I've heard is efficiency in running compared to a soccer ball. And someone who is an inefficient runner is going to be a relatively flat soccer ball, where think about if you had a flat ball and you tried to roll it down a hill. It's going to have a really hard time. It's going to kind of stop and you're going to have to push it along. It's just going to be inefficient as a whole and actually transferring that energy. Whereas if you pumped up that ball all the way and had to be super efficient, it would roll down the hill really easily, kind of on its own almost. 
there was the same amount of potential energy in both of those balls. It was just that the one allowed it to just spin so much easier. And that's what we're talking about for efficiency. We want to do everything that we can to kind of pump up the ball, so to speak, as much as we can so that we can be as efficient as possible. And that way we don't have to use more energy to get the same amount of work done. And that's always the goal. If we can reduce the amount of energy we need to do a certain task, we will perform better in that task without necessarily having a higher fitness level. And I think this is the key for a lot of people who are trying to improve running performance who are already in a functional fitness setting. They already typically have a pretty good engine as a whole, kind of as a general idea or term. And as a general quality, they end up doing pretty well on a lot of those things. But in terms of running performance, they usually do pretty poorly. This is where those things are adding up is probably because their efficiency and their running form as a whole is not very good. So I just want to give two examples really quickly of ways that I see people taking air out of their soccer ball, so to speak, where they're losing efficiency. The number one way that you probably will have heard already that's the most common is heel striking. So in other words, someone's putting their foot out in front of their body in the run gate where they think they may be elongating their stride, but in reality, they're hitting their heel out in front and every single step, they're using that heel as almost like a break where they're stopping themselves every single step and they're having to then drive off their toe at the back end and push off really hard. So they're kind of doing this stop start every time. It's like having one foot in the gas and one foot on the brake and that's just a really bad recipe for longevity. And it's also a bad scenario because now you're having to absorb all that shock with your knees and your ankles rather than being able to use your soft tissue to absorb some of that blow. And the reason that's bad is because you want your soft tissues to be able to take all that abuse because they're going to heal quickly, whereas your joints and cartilage don't have a lot of blood flow. So that's going to be a really slow healing process. The other way I see people losing efficiency while they're running is just from their quads blowing up. And this is a super common problem for CrossFit athletes as a whole, because often they're using their quads for so many things that they get overdeveloped and they want to use them for everything. And if they ever have to compensate in a movement pattern, it ends up just being their quads taking over. And this actually happens in running as well quite a bit. So one of your four quad muscles, your rectus femoris, also crosses your hip. So it's going to aid in flexing your hips. So as your foot kind of comes through in your run gait, it's going to help with that action. However, at the same time, as you start to get tired and have to rely on them and carry a lot of tension there, it will actually end up making your quads blow up. So one of the things you can think about to alleviate this problem to a degree is using more hamstrings and less hips as you're pulling through. And this doesn't apply to every single athlete, but especially for the athlete who has a quad issue, a quad dominant problem, this can help minimize that problem. So think about pulling your heel a little bit closer to your butt as your foot passes through in your stride. So rather than your heel passing the calf of your opposite foot, maybe it passes your knee in your opposite foot. So as that foot pulls through, it's going to kind of look like a figure four if you're from the side. So it look like the number four as it's getting pulled through. And this is one of those things, if we're talking about developing gears and thinking about how technique is going to change with certain running speeds, one of the things with functional fitness is that you have to be able to run at different speeds because sometimes you're going to have a sprint workout. Sometimes it might be a longer effort. Sometimes you're going to be less fatigued. So you're going to be able to run faster. Other times you're going to be more fatigued. So you're going to have to run slower. So we have to have all these gears and we have to be able to select which one we need at a given moment we have to understand that in each of these quote gears or cases that we're going to have, your technique ideally is going to shift. So if we're thinking about this foot traveling past the body again, and we compare this to a figure skater, let's just think about a figure skater. And often when they go to make a twirl or a spin, they'll start out with their arms really wide and outstretched and they'll get all this momentum. And then they'll tuck in really tightly where they bring all their limbs in close to their body and they spin super fast. 
and then they'll bring their foot out again or their arm out again and it'll slow them down. So the closer everything is to the midline, the center of your body, the faster it's going to spin by. It's the exact same thing for your leg. If you fold your leg up towards your body, so in other words, you pull in with your hamstring, your heel towards your butt, that foot's going to come through a lot quicker and a lot easier and it's going to use less energy to get that same movement done and it's going to result in a faster turnover or a cadence. Whereas if we think about something where you don't need a fast turnover or cadence, something like walking or really slow running or jogging, then you don't have to have that fast turnover. Your knee and hip barely bend at all in that scenario. So one of the things that has to change with gears is how close we bring that foot in towards the body. So this is the kind of thing that we're talking about as we talk about technique for running. We have to understand what is the ideal running technique for different cases in certain workouts. Another thing that I think really helps aid someone in the running technique is their breathing. So how do we breathe while running? So if I have any advanced runners that are listening right now or people who run a lot, even if they're not necessarily advanced, they're probably not going to relate to this very well. But oftentimes people who are not as good at running have a really hard time figuring out how to breathe while running. Or maybe not figuring out how to breathe while running, but certainly that their breathing is often scattered and not very rhythmic while they're breathing, which ultimately is not going to lead to sustainable movement. So regardless of what pattern we're in, if you're not able to breathe sustainably with the correct amount of tension and the right positioning, you're not going to have efficiency. So it doesn't matter if it's a thruster, a burpee, a power clean, or running. It doesn't matter. Like either way, regardless of what movement it is, you have to find a way to sustainably breathe over time. So the easiest way that I can explain this for an athlete is just counting your steps. So you're going to breathe out for this many steps. You're going to breathe in for this many steps. So maybe it's a four-step exhale, a four-step inhale. So you're just going to be counting your steps and you're just going to pivot an exhale or an inhale every time you get to three or four steps, for example. And this is just referred to as breath ratios. And I actually wrote an article on breath ratios. So if you want to read that, if you're more curious about this idea, Go to zorfitness.com slash podcast slash 013, this episode number, and you'll get the show notes, and I'll link to it there. So let's just call this a one to three breath to rep, or in this case, step ratio. We're going to breathe in for three steps, out for three steps. So it'll be... let's just say for whatever reason that became unsustainable where you maybe you were starting to go up a hill you're kicking at towards the end of your race you set a set of wall balls and your heart rate jacked up whatever the case may be let's just say you have to now transition to a one to two whereas every two steps you take that inhale or exhale so it sounds something like this think it matters a whole lot in terms of what breath ratio you try to hold as long as you're actually focused on your breathing and focus on creating a sustainable rhythmic breathing pattern. That's the most important things in terms of creating sustainability for this movement. And here's my last point on technique. Your running pace is simply made up of your cadence. So how many steps you take per minute and your stride length. So how far you step If we're talking about improving mid-range or longer-range running endurance performance, I recommend for most people to increase their running cadence, so how many steps you're taking per minute. So I find that a lot of, quote, functional athletes have a cadence that is too low. So often somewhere in the high 70s or low 80s in terms of a right-footed step per minute. And ideally, that would be in the upper 80s or low 90s. 
So one of the things that I recommend as maybe just an experience thing, even if it's just a single time to just illustrate a point to yourself is download a metronome app that you would use for like playing music and set it to 180 beats per minute. That'll be 90 steps per minute and run to that cadence. You'll find that it feels very awkward at first where it feels like you're running and turning over too quickly, but over time that'll help create sustainability. And just take that with a grain of salt, like not everyone has to be right at that number, but understanding that for a lot of athletes in the space that I see, their cadence is too low. So I'm kind of giving this general recommendation. So at this point, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and we'll start talking about programming. So for programming, I've broken this down into three different athletes. Athlete number one, this person wants to be good at CrossFit. That is their priority. Athlete number two, they want to be as good at CrossFit and as good at running as possible, kind of concurrently, like equal. And then athlete number three wants to be as competitive as possible in running, and they want to do that while maintaining their functionality and athleticism as much as they can. So it's kind of preserving the qualities that they want while being as good as possible at running. So let's go back to this first athlete, the person who wants to be as good as possible at CrossFit. So I don't care if this person's recreationally competitive or if they're all in sold out like a games athlete, really high level competitive, doesn't really matter. Either way, this person is trying to optimize as much as they can for CrossFit performance. That's like the the gist of the story here. And sort of inevitably, in part of CrossFit performance and going after that, one of your goals is going to be to minimize your weaknesses. And if your running is a relative weakness, that means that you need to improve your running. Again, in the context of CrossFit, then it really had to think about, okay, what kind of distances are we running and what sort of environments are we running those in? So the most common scenario is that you're running 400 meters at a shot and that you're doing in that in sort of a rounds for time environment where you have other movements paired with that running and you're coming back over multiple rounds and that you're probably going to have to run while you just did some other movement that likely blew up some body part, whether it's your posterior chain your low back, your quads, whatever the case may be, you have to kind of deal with that and change your mechanics as needed to be able to get through that movement and be able to continue to move well. So you really only have to run 200, 400, maybe 800 meters at a time, potentially a mile, but really on the lower end of that. And you have to be able to do that while you're fatigued, while certain body parts are very lactic. And the second thing we have to understand is that running in that style around time environment where you're fatigued and you're having compensations in your motor patterns show up is not a good method to improve a specific metric or a specific weakness like running. So it's going to be helpful here if I draw parallels to something that a lot of you will have some experience with. So pretend I have an athlete come to me and this is a female and they're like, hey, I want to get better at weightlifting, like snatch and clean jerk. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, do you mean you want to compete in weightlifting? No, I want to be good at CrossFit. Okay, so you want to be good at CrossFit, and that means getting better at weightlifting. Right. Okay, uh, what are your best lifts? Uh, my max clean jerk is 155. Okay, what's your grace time? By the way, that's 30 clean jerks for time. Uh, 151. So you're telling me at 61% of your one rep max, it took you 111 seconds to do 30 reps, which would be one rep every 3.7 seconds. So that kind of sustainability in your movements is really impressive considering your max. Like your lifts just aren't strong enough yet relative to your repeatability. Yeah, I guess. What does your programming look like now? Um, I do like five or six days per week of Metcons. Oh, okay. So maybe you should do a little bit less of the Metcons and round for times workouts and add load fatigue strength work to bring up that specific limiter. Once you're where you need to be in terms of that specific limiter or if you're entering some sort of comp prep, then bring it back into your mixed motor work. But until then, isolate it a little bit. Okay, so let's take that same conversation and redo it, but this time with running. So pretend I had a female athlete come to me and they're like, hey, I want to get better at running. Okay, cool. So you want to be a runner? No, I want to be good at CrossFit. 
Okay, so you want to be as good as you can at CrossFit, and that means getting better at running. Right. Okay, cool. What's your best 400 meter time? A minute and nine seconds. All right. What's your mile time? Um, Did a couple months ago. It was uh, 6.10. So that 400 meter run time, that's a 4.36 pace per mile. With a typical drop off for what I want to see, you should be about 1.25 times your pace on that 400 meter run for your mile time. So that'd be a 5.45 pace. So what that means is that your repeatability for your running is not good enough yet. You need to improve your running sustainability. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so what does your programming look like now? Uh, I do five to six days per week of Metcons. Ah, so maybe you should do less AMRAPs and rounds for time workouts and add some work to bring up that specific limiter. Once you're where you need to be in terms of running performance or you're entering comp prep, then add it back into your mixed motor work. Are we seeing what's going on here? People aren't taking the time that they need to bring up their specific limiters. Like no one who's been in the game for a while expects to improve their one rep max clean and jerk or snatch by doing Metcons on a daily basis. You have to do specific workouts to improve that metric. In order to get better at running, you have to spend time running. Not mixed motor work with running in it. You have to spend time running. So the model of running that I recommend for CrossFit athletes is, number one, running with high intention and great form in the low fatigue settings. And the easiest way to do that is if you make running its own session. And number two is start with short intervals with short rest. And the reason for this is preventing compensation patterns from showing up. So a quick example of this might be something like 200 meters times 20 with resting 10 seconds between each of those intervals, which is going to be a total volume of right around two and a half miles. So imagine what it would be like to do that workout. So even for someone who's not very good at running, that's going to be less than a minute. They're going to get 10 seconds of rest and then they repeat it right away. People think 200 meters and they think of a sprint. That's not the case at all because you have such a short rest time. It's only 10 seconds. It's barely enough time to take a few breaths and take a second to stop yourself and then you're back into it again. But really the purpose that that serves is you're getting a fresh start every single minute in terms of your technique. So you're able to create the technique that you want consistently and more often over the course of that workout. So if we compare that to someone who did 800 meter runs and they did that for five intervals, the volume is the same there. Both are two and a half miles ish. But the difference here is the person who has 20 intervals at 200 meters each, they have 20 chances of fresh start every single time to form check themselves throughout that workout. Whereas the person who did 800 meters, they only have five opportunities to do that. So if we compare this again to strength training, this is the same kind of idea as if we have someone do three sets of 10 versus 10 sets of three. The 10 sets of three, there's an opportunity there for them to have more quality because they get 10 fresh starts, 10 new opportunities, whereas the other one is only going to have three. And there's totally a time and a place to have the three sets of 10 versus the 10 sets of three. And there's totally a time to go towards the fatigue, but it's definitely not when you're trying to learn how to do the movement correctly in terms of form. You're going to have more compensation patterns if you do more fatigued work. It's just the way it is. So the goal was to create sustainability. And one of the ways to do that, even if the total works the same, the volume or even the work rest time, we're just going to spread that out across more sets. And once that athlete has better form, then we can start to push that into less sets where maybe we do 400 for 10 intervals or 800 for five or something like that, where we're doing mile repeats and we start to condense that work into less intervals. Okay, so let's go on to athlete number two who wants to be as good as possible at CrossFit and as good as possible at running at the same time concurrently. So just a little background about me. I have used to be competitive in triathlon before I got into CrossFit and I have did up to like a half Ironman, which would be a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike and a half marathon, a 13.1 mile run, which is just shy of a six hour race for me. So 
just so you know, I've definitely gone into the endurance world. I understand what it's like to prepare for these different types of races. Um, I've ran marathons. I'm not by any means world-class in them or was world-class at them, but I understand what it's like to train and optimize for that. And if I think about the physiology I had then and the physiology I have now as sort of a recreationally competitive CrossFit athlete, they're very different. That's not to say that you can't be good at both, but you just have to ask yourself the question, like, what's good? So the first thing that I would kind of think to myself is, what am I actually preparing for? Is it life in general where I want to be good at both these things? Is it the opens approaching and I want to do well at that, but I also want to maintain my running capacity? Is it where you're doing cross classes, but you signed up for a half marathon in August? What do you actually want from this? What does good mean to you for these two different things? So as you're kind of thinking about those questions, the one truth that I would cling to is that you can't get better at everything at once. That's the reality of it. So pick one or two qualities that you really want to drive up during a certain period of time and focus on those things. Meanwhile, back off the dosage of those other stressors to kind of a minimum effective dose, we might call it, to maintain those qualities. So let me keep this really simple. Let's just say you're an athlete who's been training functionally for at least a few years and you want to prep for an endurance running event in a few months. If you do Metcons maybe five days a week, back that off to three days per week and then replace that with two running specific workouts. Let's just say you held to that schedule for up until your race. And then in the fall, after your race, you want to go back to doing Metcons. Let's just say it's five days per week again, but you want to do enough running drills, enough standalone conditioning work for running, enough running with Metcons in it that your body as a system has a reason to hold on to most of your running adaptations. If you don't use it, you lose it. So that's what I'll say about CrossFit and running training concurrently. But if you have a specific question about yourself that you want me to answer, I'd be happy to interact with you. Email me at ben at zorfitness.com. But I want to move on to athlete number three now. So athlete number three, they want to be as competitive as possible at running while maintaining their functionality and athleticism as a whole. So for this athlete, all your stressors are going to go into running during your competitive season, and you're just going to do the minimum doses of that accessory work, of strength work, to give your body a reason to hold on to most of those adaptations that you fought for in your off-season. But once your competitive season is over, you're going to take the time to undo the damage that you did during your competitive season. So like those overuse injuries, those imbalances, your degrading soft tissue quality, whatever it is, the damage that you did during competitive season, which you will 100% do, you want to undo that during your off season. And that's where you're preserving and regaining a lot of that functionality and athleticism again. In order to be really good at endurance running, you're going to have to actually drive down a lot of your athleticism. That's kind of the way it is. Elite marathoners have very low vertical jumps. They're not super athletic. Like in order to put in that mileage, there is a price to be paid. That's not to say that you can't undo the damage that you did or that you can't maintain some sort of function along with that. But understand there's a price to be paid for putting in that much volume on one specific modality. And if you're someone who's kind of overthinking all of this, here's what I want to leave you with. If you want to run faster, then run faster. If you want to run slowly for a long time, then run slowly for a long time. It's the principle of specificity or the said principle of specific adaptations to impose demands. So don't overcomplicate it. If you suck at running, it's probably because you don't run much. If you want to get better at running, spend more time running and doing things that yield to improving your running performance. It's really simple. Keep it simple. After all, it's totally possible to be good at running and CrossFit. Here at the end of the podcast, I just want to take a moment to thank you. Whether you've been here since the very first episode or you just started listening, either way, I'm super thankful that you're here. And I love hearing from you guys. If you're on Instagram, shoot me a DM at ben.wise or at Zor Fitness. And while I have your attention, I want to ask you for a favor. 
And that is just for you to continue to support the show by continuing to listen, continuing to share these episodes with your friends that would enjoy it, continuing to review it or give it a rating. And by the way, I'm going to keep offering those free programs indefinitely as a way to say thanks for that. And then the last thing I want to really encourage you to do is to get on our email list. So that is where I send out all of my free content that I create. And as an email subscriber, you're going to get early access to all the content that I put out through Zor. So if you want to stay up to date in terms of what I'm putting out, what I'm creating, that's where you should go to sign up. The easiest place to do that is just ZorFitness.com, the homepage. Plus, when you sign up on the homepage, you get a free download of the Cyclical Supremacy Program. So be sure to head over there. And until next time, stay the course.